Well, my name is Chris Albritton. Um, a little bit about me real quick is I'm from Monticello, Arkansas, and I did drive all that way here today. I grew up in Monticello, and I know Philip and his family because he was my BCM director. Um, for those of you that don't know what the BCM is, it used to be called the BSU, and it's now called the Baptist Collegiate Ministries. And uh, Philip was there when I started college in 2012, and he left right after I graduated in 2016. So uh, really thankful for the opportunity to be here. It is a great honor to be here at FBC Mansfield. And uh, I would say one of the principles of today is that we keep the mission first in our lives. That we don't pursue the American dream, but the mission dream. And so I'm glad that you guys are here. Not only that you came to the house of God, but I pray that you will meet with the God of this house. Okay. So uh, Philip Slaughter taught me that. He's mentored me for many years. Uh, even uh, as he's been living here and I've been living in Monticello, we still speak weekly, I would say. Um, him and his family, I love them great, uh, dearly. Uh, John Michael and Emma and, and Rose, they've been a great mentor for me. All right, so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> and as we open God's Word, we understand that God's Word is true to all people, all places, and all times. And it's more about us getting in the Word, it's about the Word getting in us. It's more than just underlying Verses, it's verses underlying us. It's more than reading the Bible, but the Bible reading through us. Okay. So check 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Start right there. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope to, is known to also your conscience. We are not condemning ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. Okay, so in this passage right here, Paul is writing this, and Paul offers one of his most extensive descriptions of the motivation for him, the content for this, and the call of the covenant ministry. It is our standing is that we are not to make ourselves known, but to make God known. This is what Paul is referring to here. Paul would say it is the fear of the Lord. A lot of people would say it's the great white throne judgment where it talks about, in Romans chapter 14, it speaks of this. It says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23, some of the scariest verses in the Bible, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so my, my prayer is that God can use me so that nobody will go to the kingdom of God and then hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. And if I look like I'm nervous, it's because I am. This is my third time preaching, so I apologize. All right. So I became saved when I was nine years old. I grew up in Monticello all my life. I went to First Baptist Monticello there, and the preacher was talking about heaven and hell. And I was like, well, I don't want to go to hell, so I want to be saved. So I go up there, and I, I tell the preacher I wanted to be saved, but I did it more for fire insurance is what I call it. I didn't want to 
be burning and stuff like that. As a nine-year-old kid, it's very intimidating. And so I just said I wanted to be saved. Well, as I got older, I became more mature in my physical body, emotionally, spiritually. I realized that it's not about fire insurance. It's about the love for Christ is why I need to be saved. It's for realizing what he did for me. And then my church, they put on a, a play. It was called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Uh, many of you may have seen it. I, I'm not sure, but uh, when I was nine years old, it scared me. You know, it, and it's pretty much, it's just a, uh, a role play with people coming to heaven and going to hell. And there's uh, somebody that, that is God, and then there's someone playing as Jesus and, and things like that. And uh, years later, you know, when, whenever I think about that, he would, like, during the play, people would go to heaven and God would call their name and they walk in there and Jesus would meet the person playing Jesus would say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and then they would say their name. Well, uh, years later, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, well, whenever we get to heaven, I think everybody will think, I don't deserve to be here. I would think that. I would think, I don't deserve to be here, but instead of thinking I deserve this, I would be thinking I blew it. But the great thing is, is when we get there, there will not be a massive movie reel playing all of our mistakes that we've made, and there's not going to be a file of everything that God like, puts on his glasses. God doesn't need glasses, but he'll be saying things like, all the things we've done wrong, it's not going to be that way. It's because the principle is this. Your past doesn't define you. Your future has been written for you. Romans 8.1, it says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so instead of getting there and thinking that, but for the believer who is, who, I'm sorry, but for the believer, the great white judgment is not what's going to happen. But when we rise our heads, we want to raise our heads high when God says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And so, and Paul would say that he's persuaded by that to say that that's what I, that's what I want as well. He's, it says that he's persuaded by this. But it, it's not always about the, the appearance. It's about the heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lost my place. The good news about Jesus is not about behavior modification, but about heart transformation. Okay. There's been many people I've talked to that are not Christians and say, um, I don't want to be a Christian. I've seen how they act. I've seen what they've done. It's not, it's not about behavior modification. But it should make you want to change your behavior, but it's about heart transformation as well. My wife, she uh, has a dog training business in Monticello, and what's something that she promotes is behavior modification. So somebody brings the dog and the dog is berserk. It likes to jump around and pees in the floor, runs out the door when you open the door. And after the training, it's a completely different dog. The dog obeys what you tell it to. It doesn't run out the door. All those things, it's a modification. I would say in our own lives, it doesn't work that way in, this, you know, in two weeks, especially. You know, I'm 29 years old. I still don't have it down yet. And so, let's see. But we know that our identity is only because Christ alone. Because of Christ, we can, we can put our heads held high and say that we are not guilty. 
that we are not guilty. There, I can't go one week without sinning. I drove up here for four hours, and then something that I'm convicted about is when someone cuts you off, you're like, no, don't say that. You know, don't think that. Be nice. You know, things like that. So, you know, but at the same time, because of, because of Christ, I am not guilty. When God lives in our hearts, we should want his mission to move forward. <clears throat> All right, so I graduated college in 2016. I have a communications degree, and I minored in music. Last year, I was a school teacher at a low-income school in a place called Dermot. And uh, it was a poverty school. 100% of the students qualify for the low-income housing and, and the, uh, the free, free lunches and things like that. And as I was there, um, I realized I didn't want to be a teacher anymore. And so I tried to move on and find something else. And uh, nothing against teachers. I think teachers are great. It's just it's not for me in a public school. And so I became a, a waiter at a steakhouse at the moment. It's called the Village Steakhouse. And uh, when I was there, I was speaking with someone else, uh, another waiter, who is open about his uh, disbelief in Jesus. And uh, I would say that I'm very socially awkward. Uh, I probably need counseling. But... I talked, to, I talked to this guy, and I, I may have known his name. I forgot his name. I was there for a week, and I, thought, I just go up to him, and I say, Hey, man, what do you think about Jesus? And he looks at me, and he goes, Do you really want to know what I think about Jesus? I say, Yeah, sure, absolutely. He says, I will come to Jesus when I kick this drug habit. And I, I say, I'm sorry, I'm not following what you're saying. And then he says that he works this job to feed his drug habit. He will come to Jesus when he kicks the drug habit. I said, hey, man, you got it completely backwards. It's not about you coming to Jesus. I'm sorry, it's not about kicking your drug habit and then coming to Jesus. It's about coming to Jesus and letting him kick your drug habit. And uh, at that moment, he's very, what's the right word? Uh open about his opinion, but at that point, he didn't have anything to say. He just, he just stopped, and he just thought about it, and I talk to him every single week. I have his phone number. I text him all the time. He never responds, but I see him, you know, at the steakhouse, and we talk, but I'm still working with this guy. We're still praying for him, <clears throat> so without mentioning his name, I pray that you guys would pray for him as well, so uh thing is, is, let's see, it's, it's not about when you deal with other people. It's not about you saving people. It's about leading them to Jesus and sharing with them that God loves them and God wants to be in a relationship with them. It's not us saving them. It's God saving them. And we should want to bring them closer to that. Uh, something that my wife would say, as I would say once, that uh, you can't make a horse drink the water. You know, you can, you can lead a, water, a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink it. That's it. But her reaction was, yeah, but you can pick the bucket up and make it easier for him. And so after that, uh, I'm not too bright. My butter slides off my biscuit all the time. But to, at, at that moment, my wife, I was just like, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. But... <clears throat> 
<clears throat> so, and God, God could be the God that aligns all the stars and, and says, I am God, and open up the clouds and just scream it out for everyone to hear that I am God, but it doesn't work that way. God wants to use me and you to reach the people out there. I think that's part of the point. That's part of the point, is God, God wants to make himself known, but through us. It's about the heart. It's not about the external. It's the, it's the heart of the gospel, while Paul did what he did. It's, for the, it's because of the love in that is what motivated him. People would say that the disciples and Paul and all these people that wrote the Bible and lived that, like, died horrible deaths and was sent to prison and jailed countless times. And what would motivate someone to do that is because of this crazy love that they have. And so I mentioned that I'm married. Um, I have been married since last May, May 5th. So this coming May 5th will be our first anniversary. And uh, while we were uh, dating, um, I, was, I think there's a fine line between stalking someone and pursuing them. I say I was pursuing. She, I think she would think more I was stalking. But... Um, as, as I got to know her a little bit, we became friends. And so I, I, I continued to pursue her, and we were, uh, I get what's the right word, we were hanging out uh, for about three months at the same time, and she knew I enjoyed her company and I liked her and things like that. And uh, Kind of premature, about four months in, I just kind of just said, I love you. And there's that social awkwardness that come out again because there was nothing that led up to it. I just said it. And it caught her off guard, and she's just kind of sitting there. And, and, uh, and then I was talked about in a hypothetical situation about marrying her because the way I feel about it is I'm not going to date somebody unless I see potential. And she knew this, but, but when we were talking about it, it was different because at, at that time, she's like, well, you need to calm down for a second, okay? Like, I'm not ready for marriage. We've only been together for four months. And then uh, I'm like, well, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm just talking about the idea. And uh, one time she came over to my apartment, and my grandmother left me her wedding ring, and I left it on the, the kitchen table. And when she came in and she saw that, she's like, hold on a second. You know, and uh, I'm like, no, no, that's, that's not for you. I'm, I'm sorry. But, but, you know, as this progressed, as we became more in love with each other and we have more maturity, you know, we fell in love deeper, more mature. She ended up wanting to get married a lot more than I did at the time. We were still in college and, and like every other sentence was, when are we getting married, you know? And it turned into that because of a crazy, a crazy love that we had for each other. So... I would say that this crazy love is what Paul would use for this, okay, to make his life count, okay, and that's what I'm talking about with you guys is to make our lives count. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, it says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him 
who for their sake died and raised. Okay, so the good news of the gospel isn't just meant for the unreached. I mean, it is, and we need to, we need to say his name and talk to the people and spread it all over the ends of the earth, but we need to also understand that in order to do that every single day and do it effectively, we need to preach that gospel to ourselves every single day. And that's what helps me understand what verse 17 talks about. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I'm sure you've seen illustration of this, just like with baptism. The old has passed away. The new has come. Just like when God, I'm sorry, when Jesus passed, when Jesus died, the old was gone. The new came back. And so, therefore, in Christ is the key word there. In Christ, I have eternal life. In Christ, I have been justified. In Christ, I have limitless love. In Christ, I have mercy. In Christ, I have the power of the resurrection. In Christ, I have the victory. In Christ, the past doesn't define you. Your future is written for you. And I could go on all day talking about everything because of Christ. So we can leave a fat dent on this world because of Christ. And we need to have a strong message because of those two words, in Christ. Okay? So I mentioned that I was a waiter at the steakhouse. And uh, don't get me wrong, it's not that I, f I think being a waiter is a great job. I'm actually, I have about 500 resumes out. Uh, if there is an opening for it, I'm, I'm going to take it. And so I've, I've tried for ministry jobs, I've applied for marketing, public relations, any communications jobs, all that. And so uh, as, a, as I'm a waiter, my money comes from tips. And so I was uh, waiting on this couple and they had their children there. And I noticed their kids were a little rambunctious, but you know, it's, it's none of my business to say anything to anyone. I give them their food and uh, the kid ordered like a, a burger and it had all the toppings on it and everything else and I go about my business and then as they're leaving I notice the parents take the money and they put the tip on the table well this child he thought it was a good idea to take this money and shove it inside of his burger and mash it down in there like this and he walked away so <clears throat> uh, as I walk up to the table and uh, I noticed that there was money but I did not see the kid do this and then I just see like this little part of the money sticking out of the, of the burger. So I, I move the burger over and it's covered in mayo and mustard and ketchup. Has all this stuff on it. Had this kid's, you know, from he was eating the burger and, you know, so his spit was on it and all that fun stuff. And so I'm like going CSI on this money. And uh, in the steakhouse, there's, there's other people that work there, obviously, and they say, Chris, don't touch that money. It's disgusting, okay? Do not touch that money. And uh, I'm the kind of person that every little bit helps. So I reach down and grab the money, and I think it was like 10 bucks. and a lot of you may think less of me at this point, and that's okay. But I pick up the money, and I hold it like this, and I start walking away. And as I'm walking away, all the other waiters are just acting like it was the grossest thing they've ever seen. They're just like, I'm not going to accept that because we all share our tips. 
And so they're like, I'm not going to accept that. You're going to have to keep it and all this stuff. And I'm just like, that's fine, that's fine. Well, I'll walk over, and then I use a wet towel, and I wipe it off. And as I was wiping it off, made the towel, um, made the money wet. So it started to tear a little bit and fold and all this fun stuff. And I go over to the, the uh, Germex machine, and I, I wipe it on there, try to get it better. And as the night progressed, I just stuck it in my pocket. Because everybody else said they didn't want it, so I took it. So as, as the night progressed, at the end of the night, we're all counting our tips together, and we split the tips. And then they're all saying, well, Chris has a $10 bill, but I don't want it. He can just keep it. That's fine. Well, at, the point, at this point, I was starting to become hungry. And so at the steakhouse, they have French dip sandwiches, and it costs nine fifty. And I had the $10 bill in my pocket. So I, I go up, and I pay, for the, I pay for the French dip sandwich. And so the, uh, the owner, didn't, he didn't know anything about it. And so I just paid him, and he's like, okay, great. And I ate my French dip sandwich. But the thing is, is that even though that money had all that stuff on it, it was folded and torn and tattered and all this stuff, at the end of it, it never lost its value. It was still $10. Even though it was gross, it was still the same value as a $10 bill that was brand new. And so the thing is, is that we have the same value to God. In Christ, you never lose your value. If, if there's someone in here, and, and I'm speaking this message because it spoke to me. I'm, I'm speaking this message because I was sitting there thinking, what am I going to talk about? And then I'm like, well, what do I need to hear? This is what I needed to hear. And so if there's anyone else in the room that felt torn, tattered, bruised, battered, whatever, like, like your life doesn't mean anything, the enemy wants you to think that, not God. Your life matters. You are bought and paid for by the blood. You have value. Okay, so he takes, he takes broken pieces and he makes masterpieces. Okay, so I, I really enjoy that saying because literally, like, whenever something would happen in my life, I literally felt like a vase that was just broken. And then at the same time, I still mattered to God, and then he can use that and then move you forward in your life. So, I've got to turn the page real quick. So, uh, whenever I was in high school, I was the kind of kid that, you know, not studying was good enough. You know, I didn't have to study in high school. I made A's, B's, and C's. That was good enough for me. I didn't want to apply myself. If I did, I probably would be a lot better off now. But I made A's, B's, and C's. I didn't study. I graduated high school, and it was great. It was fun. I took the ACT, and the maximum score on the ACT you can get is a 36, which, by the way, someone in my class made a 36 twice. But I made, the first time I ever took the ACT in seventh grade, I made a 13. Statistics show that monkeys can make a 16 on the ACT. So I felt pretty terrible about it. My friend, who just went ACCD all the way down, made a 22. I made a 13 the first time around. And so I took it again, and the best I ever made was a 19. And so 
this might be encouraging to somebody in here. I made a 19. I couldn't get into the college I wanted to get into. Uh, ended up going to UAM at Monticello. And when I was there, um, I, they said, well, you're going to have to take remedial classes because your scores aren't high enough. I said, that's fine. I was just happy to get in. And I got on with a scholarship only because of musical ability. That's the only reason I got a scholarship. If I didn't have a scholarship, probably wouldn't have got in. So <clears throat> uh, I'd start taking these classes, and I struggled. It was hard for me just for the remedial math classes. And uh, when I met my wife, she tutored me in the sciences and the maths. And so uh, it, it was really difficult for me. And I was like, well, why is this and why is that? And she just sits there a second, and she goes, you don't have to know why. Just know that it is. And so I'm just like, okay. But as my other classes, I, I did fairly well. I, I did well with English and reading, any kind of paper, any kind of presentation, things like that. Is one reason why I chose my degree is because it was all presentations. And so uh, whenever this happened, I actually graduated college. I didn't graduate magna cum laude. I graduated thank the laude, if you know. So, but... Um, the thing is, is that now I have a degree, and I was the first person with my siblings to have a degree. And now I'm looking into master's level school, and I have a younger sister who's like, you're not going to do better than me. I'm going to go to master's schools as well, and I'm going to go to seminary, and she wants to be occupational therapist, and we're going to have a race to see who gets done first. But um, the thing is, is that whenever I was in college, what Philip told me, was that God wants someone to be an ambassador for Christ. See, when I went into college, originally, I wanted to be an architect. Then I realized I was terrible at math. I couldn't be an architect. So then I decided I was going to try being a motivational speaker. And I started doing that. And then I realized that motivational speakers travel a lot. And then I'm just sitting there, and then, but the whole time, I feel Philip, like he's, he's mentoring me, he's telling me things. I feel this sensation in my heart, and I didn't know what it was, and I was very immature in Christ. And then eventually, I realized that God wants me to go into ministry. And it was more of a, when I realized that, I was just at peace. It was just this peace came over me. So being an ambassador for Christ, which is exactly what 2 Corinthians 5.18 talks about. It says, all to this is from God those who Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so when it comes to serving God, it's not about your ability, but it's about your availability. What are you willing to do? Has God ever told you to do something and you're like, I'm too busy for that. I don't have time for it. And then someone told me before, it's not about you're too busy. It's about how important something is to you. If something's important, you're going to make time. I also have a five-year-old son who I make time for every single situation. When I was in college, I had my son. I made time for him. And so it's the same thing when it comes to God. It's easy to put God to the side and say, I don't have time for this. Well, you have to make time. God is looking for ambassadors to proclaim his name 
and the godliness, and it talks about in the Bible to pursue godliness, but godliness isn't perfection. Godliness is pursuing Jesus and using our life for making him known. And you don't have to be in the four corners, four walls of a church to let God know. Our life is a mission field. You go to work, just the average Joe goes to work, works from eight to five and comes home. But there's so many people you could reach and you don't even realize it yet. When I was a teacher, I could have reached all those kids and made a difference in their life. And I don't know if I will ever know if I ever did. I actually got in trouble as a teacher because I mentioned God in school. And I was even using as a, as a reference, like, like for, for the Bible, I was using a reference for I taught music, but I was talking about music history at the time. I was talking about how older music, all it was was just church music. Well, apparently that offended someone, and they, they went and told. But at the same time, I'm not sorry because who knows who I affected that day. See, and our, it's our identity. It's our identity for if you are in Christ, it's our identity. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in Hebrews 4.15, it says, He was tempted as we are, but yet without sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin, neither deceit found in his mouth. Therefore, Jesus didn't become a sinner. He died for sinners so that we can become sons and daughters, a holy nation, like for our identity is in Christ. So Paul would say that our identity is for the mission. You may not serve in the church, but your life where you work, those people is for you. So, and I will close with this. My five-year-old son, a uh, little, little something more about me, I was married to someone else. It didn't work out, and we had a son together and moved on with our lives. But I had a five-year-old son, and when he was two years old, I heard him crying around 2 a.m., and my son, is, he's, he would get sick all of a sudden. He would just get 104 fever, take him to the doctor, no more fever. And it was within 30 minutes. Uh, my son's just weird that way. But when he gets sick, he gets sick. So it was about 2 a.m., and I go and I check on him. He's crying, and I feel on him, and he's hot. So I pick him up, and as soon as I picked him up, he vomited all over me. And at my initial reaction at first, I wanted to go like this. But I was sitting there like, no, I don't want to do that to him. That would make him feel weird. So I'm holding him. We go into the bathroom. And, you know, it's 2 a.m. He's hot. He has a fever. He, th- he threw up. You know, it's a two-year-old kid. He's going to cry. And so I'm cleaning him up. And then I take my rag and the, I use warm water. And I start wiping off his face. And I start wiping off his chest. And I get him in the bath. And I start doing all this for him. At the same time, I'm still covered with vomit. And I'm making sure he's okay first. I take all the sheets off of his bed. And then I put the new sheets on get him okay, get his fever down a little bit, put him back to sleep. He was fine. And so, and by morning, his fever was gone. So, but the thing is this, is that whenever I was doing that, I kept thinking of 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
And then it says, again, you can look in your Bible, it says, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What I was thinking of is when I was wiping off my son, and it was almost like as if me as a dad was God and I was my son. He took off my sins, past, present, future. He put all of it on himself. He put all of the sin on himself, and he marched up the hill of Calvary, carrying the cross that I deserve. And when he did that, it says the wrath of God in Isaiah 53:20. It says the wrath of God was poured out on him, and he said, "It is finished." And at first, he was clean, then he wasn't clean anymore. So at that moment, our sin was paid for, and because Jesus came back from the dead, he's the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And so we, need, we have the privilege of making him known. And I think that, even of itself, is the highest honor that anyone could have. And so I'll ask Mr. Kenny to lead us in an invitation.